Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is BIPOC Credits, a show that shines a light on the black, indigenous, and people of color who work in the booming BC film industry with high hopes of creating a more diverse Hollywood North behind and in front of the camera. Want to learn about the people behind your favorite movies and TV shows? Keep listening. Want to learn how to survive and thrive in the film industry? Keep listening. Want to convince your parent or guardian to let you be a part of the film industry? Keep listening. Welcome to BIPOC Credits. Here's your host, Andy Wong. How did a kid from a small town in Alberta make a name for himself in the BC film industry? Thank you for joining us today on BIPOC Credits. My name is Andy Wong, and in this episode, my friend Milton Ng talks about balancing his filmmaking dream with his occupation as a grip to make ends meet. This balance between aspirations and realities is something a lot of creatives struggle with, and Milton was generous enough to share this heartfelt perspective and the lessons he learned along the way. Milton talks about why he chooses gripping as opposed to any other positions in the film industry and the importance of camaraderie behind this position. For those who don't know, the grips focus on providing equipment to shape the light that the lighting team set up on the film set. The grips and electrics, or the lighting team, work together to create the tone of our favorite shows and films. From Deadpool to the ever so popular DC series Arrow, Milton has worked on some of the biggest shows to come to Vancouver in the last five years. He talks about how he got started, why he took an extended hiatus, and where he's taking his career as a filmmaker now. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Milton Ng. Thanks a lot for uh, being here. Um, we haven't talked in quite some time and I'm really stoked to uh, get to talk to you about like something real because I don't think we've ever had these kind of conversations about filmmaking before, have we? The last time we had a conversation was this when we were having lunch and you and Tesh <laughs> were drilling me over my pitch for my movie because I was, I was yeah. practicing my pitch and you guys were giving me some really hard questions that I didn't know the answers to, which was great. I'm, I'm glad you guys did that. That was really fun. The Whistler, the Whistler Film Festival. It was a good time. Yeah. Uh, I guess the first question would be like, why did you, uh, why did you want to become a filmmaker? And um, you, you moved from where? Where did you move from to come here for film? Alberta, right? I'm from a small town, uh, Alberta, called Legal. So my my parents had a Chinese restaurant there. So I moved here in 2009. 
That is just over 11 years ago. You know what? I will never get tired of, of, of answering this question. And you know what? Something as a simple question like that, Andy, it means a lot because, hold on, I'm going to boost my light up just a bit. It's because it really reminds me of why I'm here, you know, and I appreciate that. So I've always loved movies and I've always loved watching movies when there was like, you know, it's always the climatic moment. It's always an underdog story with some character, like whether it's like Spider-Man or like Ninja Turtles, whatever, all these movies I watched growing up. But when I've always saw like the underdog, like falling down, and then that character, that hero had to do something like train and really dig deep down and rise. And then that character would be back in battle yeah. to, to win the fight. And I remember watching numerous movies. Uh, I think a lot of Marvel movies had, had it too. But a lot of other movies, I kind of forget which ones, but that moment that I was like, like, hell yeah, you know, right, right in my mind, I was saying that. And I felt this, uh, what they call it, the emotional roller coaster. I felt that like literally like, like through my spine, it would like come from the bottom of my spine. Right. That feeling I had for like four or five seconds, like I think when I was like, like through a childhood, I was always like, I want to find a way to, to duplicate that feeling. I want to, I want other people to have this feeling and i think uh when i was 18 and i remember just figuring out like what the hell do i want to do and uh i uh my uh drama teacher mr owen would tell tell all of us to to direct uh a theater like a five-minute theater and present it to the class and i i looked at mr owen like hey mr owen can can i write my own because i had my ideas he's like yeah go for it so while everyone was like researching for a play i was the only one in the class that um that just wrote my own, you know, a few days of rehearsal with like five actors and then showcasing it to a class of 30 people or so. It was like a small class. And I remember just the audience just loving it, laughing. And af after it was done, like they gave me applause. Yeah. And Mr. Owen, like he shook my hand. He said, great job, Melton. And, and I don't know, there's something about that moment that just that validation to be like, wow, that like, there's, there's no other reward from a senior that was a teacher that that said that yeah and uh, i think i got in touch with him like a while ago to thank him but I, I definitely want to do it again when i make a movie um but that feeling that made me do that i wanted to to make movies i wanted to be involved in the movie business somehow so but that was a that was a theater performance what what kind of what kind of transition that into filmmaking i don't think it was ever the transition i think i was always there i think be you know, I think I was while I was doing that theater stuff, I believe I, I don't know how old it was. I was probably like 13 or 14 or 15. But I actually my dad actually got a Sony camera, like a cassette DV thing. And uh, me and my brothers were were making stop motion videos with Lego. And, and I think I've always had that camera like at the early age, like 14. So when I went to high school, I was like 18, like actually directing. Right. So um that was, I guess that was the moment for me wanting to direct, but I guess, sorry to pull back a little bit when I was like grade seven and eight. Yeah. Eight, grade seven, and eight. I actually made, um, do you remember Jackass? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Jackass, yeah. so me and my friends actually made these videos and we called it dumbass. <laughs> oh my God. I had the yeah, so, same experience. <laughs> yeah. So, so. So actually, it's actually funny I, that I reconsider uh, asking as the thought process was like, 
The grade 12 experience was the first validation as a director, but as a, a video creator, I guess it started early when I was like yeah. 13. After high school, I knew I wanted to do something with, with videos and films and, and having that validation yeah. really gave me that, that boost to be like, I want to direct. I want to find a way to direct. So what I did was I, uh, what did I do first? I, I did a short film with my friends called The Kid. I gotta uh-huh. find it somewhere. It's somewhere online, but it's the yeah. like worst, best short. My my <laughs> first ever. I consider my first short yeah. film ever. It was called The Kid with my friends. It was inspired by the the heroes, um, special ability uh, show. Yeah, I did that, and then I went to. Um, I was looking around like colleges for like film school in Alberta, and the Red Deer College had some type of like uh, motion picture arts and theater program, and uh, I just wanted to get a taste of of moving out and what was what was it like living on my own first before I committed to like a full two-year thing because I wasn't really ready for that um so when I went to Red Deer College I only went there for four months to do open studies like I did communication psychology uh, then I did another one but when I was out there I took the same camera my Sony camera and I shot another film so literally after doing four uh months of of that I was always looking into like the motion picture program right but I got rejected I looked around and then um, Calgary, uh, it's called SAIT, Southern Alberta Institute of Technology. They had a film program there too for two years. So I applied to there. At the same time, my mom was like, why don't you go to Toronto? Because we have cousins there. I'm like, I don't want to travel to Toronto. But then, yeah, I I was looking at that and then I got rejected from Calgary. And then at that same time, I I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to make my own videos here. Because I, I I wanted to stay in Alberta. I didn't want to leave home. I, I wasn't ready to like sure. move to another yeah. place. I was like, oh, why don't you go to LA? And I'm like, I just wasn't. Because you, you were still you were still living was, with your parents or not living with your parents, but you were still like visiting your parents and whatnot. You still wanted that option. Yeah, yeah. After getting rejected from two yeah. film schools in Alberta, I went back to work at the restaurant and I, I viewed it as a different thing. Because I was like, because I worked at the restaurant my entire life. I was like, I'm gonna go. Uh, work somewhere else. I had a good talk with my dad. I was like, and my dad's like, you know what? You're right. You need to go work for someone else. They so can learn. Right. Cause I, all I do is work for my dad. I didn't know what it was like to work for someone else. So I was, I think I was 21. And that's when I uh, got a job as a salesman. Okay. Like I was selling yeah. furniture and then electronics. And when that happened, there was Vancouver film school roadshow that was coming yep. to Edmonton. So they would come in and do a presentation. They would come and do a presentation show. All, it's only one year program all this good shit. And I, I went to the roadshow. I got the pamphlet and I was like, came home. I was like, dad, I want to go to Vancouver. I'll go to Vancouver film school. <laughs> and my mom was like, Oh, my mom was like still saying, well, why don't you go to Toronto? I was like, well, that's further from you. Like Vancouver is not that far. Were you working in the film industry at all? Like during that time or how did you uh, slowly get involved in that? No, no way. Um, even the, the teachers there told you kind of not to get a job because it's going to be intense. Like gotcha. Film school is intense. And, and it was intense. Like there was documentary. We did film production and screenwriting. Like in a year, like AD production design, we learned everything in, in a year. So it was five days a week. And then the weekend, you know, we were doing uh, film workshops. We were doing uh, filming. And it was, uh, it, it was so alive, like coming to a new city. Yeah. Not knowing everybody. Oh my god! I went in the bus and I saw Asian people. I was like, "Whoa!" Because <laughs> uh, like, we call well, we call Vancouver Hongkouver. That's what they say, yeah, right? Yeah, um, that's true. But we have a yeah. ton of Asians here, and uh, yeah, just just living out with three. I lived with three roommates, just yeah. like 
just also it was learning to be independent like yeah buying groceries like i learned a little bit of that already from uh red deer for four months right but from red deer was not and everything yeah red deer was not a big city sure like yeah vancouver was this is a huge city what was that transition like going from uh film school into the film industry in vancouver oh that was uh that was a whole new change like i thought going to film school was scary but the whole transition of let's talk about my first time on a film set let's talk about your first time on the film set first yeah. time on a film set that's that's a, always a great story how did you get that opportunity after film school, I had an opportunity to volunteer as a grip in a lamp op, right? So already I was doing, uh, like it was 14 days on an indie feature. Yeah. Like this is cool. I was right. going to a film set. I was in an actual feature film. I think it was a hundred thousand dollar movie, but it wasn't like a huge show. It wasn't like, you, you know what it's like. Right. It's a hundred thousand. We know what a hundred thousand dollar feature is like. Yeah, it's nothing. Um, and I remember one of the, one of the PAs on, on my show, he was friends with the director. And uh, he said he was working on Smallville as a PA. And I loved watching Smallville. And, uh, and I'll tell you what's funny. When I was 15, I would play outdoor rink hockey back in Alberta. And I was talking about Smallville. Uh, and we were talking about, like, how, how cool it would be to work on Smallville. Like, when I was 15. So then when I was, like, 22, this is after graduation, one of the, the PAs, I was like, yo, can you get me a day on that? Like, anything? Like, I would love to come on as a PA. I remember this clearly. I bought groceries from Safeway. And it was like the afternoon, like one o'clock and I was coming home, putting the groceries away. And I was already like, I'm going to make pork chops. I used to eat pork chops and rice all the time because it was all about like buying big packs of pork chops. And that's like a dish, a meal. Uh, but I remember getting, I missed the phone call and I checked my voicemail. There's a guy from Michael Hawken. And he's telling me that Jason was the guy that was the PA. He's like, hi, I'm the location. He, said, he, he was a really Star Wars fan. And he had this really funny voice. He's like, hi, I'm he's like, hi, I'm Michael Hawking. I'm the assistant location manager from Smallville. We're looking for a day call. When if you're available, give me a call back. I was like, oh shit, man. Like my head just ex Yeah. Yo, my head exploded. I was like, I'm gonna work on Smallville. I, I called him and he's like, Okay, uh, this is the address. And I'm like and, and at first I'm like, when do you need me? He's like, Yeah, right now. I was like, Right now? Yeah, I'll come, I'll be there. So I did eat my pork chop meal that day. <laughs> and I'm going to set, and I remember sure. like taking a SkyTrain to Boulder Studio. Me just going there, yeah, just me going there and and uh, walking up. I was like, "Oh shit, man!" Like, and the thing is, when I got to the studio, I only walked through the equipment section and to Crafty, right? But so already I'm getting a glimpse of this giant light equipment and this giant Crafty table and and the uh, uh, uh I think his name was Jason Bachman. A different, it was a different Jason. Yeah, right. Jason Bachman was the key PA, and he's right. like, "Okay, you're built in. Here's your headset and McDonald's headset. Here's your radio." Uh, he gave me a quick play-by-play. Right. Listen to the radio. When they say rolling, you say rolling. If you say cut, yeah, you cut, yeah. you close these doors. And my whole day, it was just me guarding uh, Crafty where the store was. But the thing is, I kept on doing that. And people, equipment, people would walk through that door, bringing equipment in and out. Because I, I worked on that stage, right? And every time they open, I see a glimpse of the studio inside. I was like, oh my God, it looks yeah. so big inside. And I didn't get to see anything for a good, like, until they called lunch, right? So how did the how did how did that experience lead to you uh, you becoming a grip? My other friend who I went to film school with, he was the best boy grip on this Steven Seagal uh, show. Yeah, right. It was like it was a, it was like it was a show called True Justice, right? And he's like, "Hey, I'm looking for a day call. You want to come grip on it?" I was like, "Hell yeah, I will gladly come grip on it." So then I I went and I gripped on it, 
And then yeah. I think the hardest thing for like a month and a half or two months or so was gripping on it and then still having my day job at Cactus Club. Right. So every time I was at Cactus Club, I was like, man, I want to I go back on set. And, and oh, there were some times where I would get called. I was making two twenty five a day. So basically, as a grip, I was making two twenty five a day flat right. on, on the show. And then if I was expoing for like eight hours, I only make like 70 bucks. It was $10 <laughs> yeah. an hour. So it was shit. Yeah. It yeah, was shit. It, so there was a few there was a few days I had to pay an additional expediter $50 just to take my shift. So I'm like, hey, man, I'll give you $50. So basically – for two twenty five, I'd be making hundred seventy five. Right, but you got to do what you want to do. So I thought, okay, sure, yeah, you know, because I want to obviously direct and shoot my own shit. But I think the excitement of being on a big film set was like so exciting for me. Yeah, I gave my two weeks at Cactus Club. I had six shifts left. I only did three of them because the last three, what happened was there's a new key grip that came to uh, from L.A. named Rick Tucker. Or something with Rick or whatever. Really cool guy. Um, he, he really loved my attitude. So he wanted me to come for the whole show. Literally in my two-week yeah. process. So if I think I was supposed to work. Right. My final day, I was supposed to work uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at Cactus Club. But they wanted me to work the full week on the true justice. So you know what? I, I tried to get someone to cover me. And then, they, and then the, the manager was like, no, man, I need you. But then in my mind, I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to go work on a film set. In my mind, I'm like, they're giving me a show call. And I'm already quitting this job. So so basically what I did is I just made some excuse that I was sick. I couldn't come into work at Cactus Club. I just went to work. <laughs> no, that's fair. I mean, like, as a show call, you, you're you booked for so long. And that money, like, if you say no to a show call, then that's ridiculous. You're saying no to, like, like thousands of dollars. Yeah, and what happened like was... Tens of thousands of dollars. And, yeah, and, and me finishing that show, I think I, I did that show, started to be show call around July, I think. Right. It was June or July. And that show went to December. Yeah, no, that's that's crazy. Like, it went to December. Dude, I literally did six months of that, and I literally got my days. And then in 2011, in January, seven people, including, like, a few of my good friends who are also grips on that show, we all got carded uh, as union because of our days. Yeah, that's that's amazing. From what I hear even today and, and even back in 2015, that was, like, a great way to get your cards because I was still talking to grip permittees and they're like, they were struggling so hard to get their days. So for me, I look back and like, I'm so glad I made that decision. I'm so glad I, I took them. You got really fortunate. Yeah. I got really fortunate to, to just uh, grip on, on the show to give me the days. Jump straight to like a show call. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're you you like kind of took some time off gripping for for a bit. Can you talk us through like what that mindset was and and why you decided that it wasn't for you anymore? Yeah, that's a very great conversation to have. Is when I was gripping, not to be like obviously I was green for like two years, right? Um, but I never took an actual dispatch call from the union because I always had friends that offered me work. And what I've realized just. I, I, you know me from this is I'm a very smiling guy. I like to smile, I like to laugh. I, I like to tell jokes, and I guess me having this attitude uh, really was a plus for me to getting jobs because people would be like, "I don't care if you, if you don't know how to grip, like you can learn that." But attitude, you can't teach anyone to have a, a yeah. You can't change a bad attitude to a good attitude. I remember getting a, a ASAP call on a Friday afternoon, and the key, and we were lifting a, a Fisher dolly, and one of the key grips was like. 
I was smiling. I was like, okay, I was like, come on, all right, okay, cool. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I was like, this big smile. And he's like, what's your name? I'm like, oh, I'm Milton. He's like, well, what the fuck are you doing? It's Friday afternoon. You're smiling. And then he joked, right? He's he's a funny guy, but he just he couldn't believe why I was smiling on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, because because they were all working yeah. all week, right? So so I did a bunch of shows. Like I worked on Continuum. I had another show called There. I jumped on a bunch of cruise. Worked with a bunch of key girls. Learned so much about the experience of just you know Monday to Friday, uh, gripping. And you know there were some hard times. Sometimes we're, we're in the sun. We're baking. Like there are times. Like if you see my old pictures, I'm brown. Like I'm like I'm like I'm in the sun all day. Like if on the weekends, if I'm taking my, if I take, if I'm wearing sandals, like I have a, like my foot is white because I don't wear sandals at work. You can't, it's not safety wise. Uh, but I did a bunch of show calls for a bunch of uh, shows. So while I was doing that, I was always making my own um, films. Like uh, I was starting to make more short films. I was doing comedy sketches. I, I was doing a, a few different production companies with my uh, friends that we started companies together on, on YouTube. So we did like festival tours for, for a bunch of shorts and stuff. Uh, but while I was doing that, uh, it kept on bothering me that that I was gripping. Like I was doing these short films in the span of like three or four years. I was like, man, I wish I could just do these YouTube shorts every day. But I wasn't, the thing was, I wasn't making any money. Yeah. Like not making money from these comedy sketches, these YouTube shorts. So it was basically like gripping was making me money. So I needed that. Yeah. But filmmaking... It was, it, it, I kept telling myself, like, you know, some day it's going to happen. Some day it's going to happen. You just got to make a good short. Uh, you know, social media. Okay, maybe I got to build my social media numbers. And it was a bunch of that stuff that I would just tell myself. Uh, but then it wasn't until I did Arrow. Yeah. Right. So when I did Arrow, so when I was starting Arrow in season two, season two, I think this was 2013. Yeah, I think it was 2013. So only, only three years of gripping, right? I got, started to get tired of gripping i got i got tired i, I kind of looked i started to resent um gripping in a way so uh but that was kind of like it was, it was a whisper it was like a voice that was right. trickling in my mind i love to get a better understanding of like why why you started to resent it like was there like specific elements about it that you hated so the voice started to happen already in season two yeah Okay, that I started in Arrow season two, right? Right. So the voice was trickling there, but I just fought yeah. the voice. I was just like, you know what? Suck it up. You need the money. What was the voice saying? What the voice would just be like these these negative annotations to be like, man, I, like how come you're not making any money on your YouTube videos? How come you're not going out like directing commercials? Because I would see people directing commercials, making money off of it. Yeah. So you know, I I try to dabble in that stuff, like reaching out to clients, uh, right. Always entering these contests on Toggle and MoFilm. Like handing in pitch packages, nothing was ever going through. Uh, Crazy Eights, uh, yeah. all these film competitions that I was applying to, nothing was ever getting hit. Um, so as I was gripping, I kept on saying, "Okay, I'll just keep, I'll just keep gripping for another year. I'll, I'll give another year, then I'll call quits, and then I'll go straight in on this uh, this YouTube project, whatever." Right. So while right. I was doing season two in Arrow, I guess I got not like didn't master gripping, but I got comfortable enough. Like because when you're gripping, a lot of people at start they're very nervous, they're very keener. They 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 try to lift too many sandbags, uh, they try to run around because they want to impress the boss, right? So that was me for my first year. And every I find every good grip does this, in, in my opinion, that I see right now. So for myself, season two, season season three, uh, I got really tight with the uh, the best boy and, and the key grip, and 
basically told them, uh, I can only do three days a week because I, I have to do my own shorts. I have to do these YouTube sketches, all that stuff, right? So as I was doing that, literally like, I got, I guess I got confident in my skill that literally by the end of season four and five, sometimes the boss was sick or something happened. So I would arrive to work and they're like, okay, you're key gripping. And I was like, okay. So, so some, some days that I went there was so scary. Cause I, I, by the way, I got to be like, in a way confident in my skill in rigging and just gripping that I got to be lead men. It's basically the key grips right hand man. Yeah. So it was very cool to be like, wow, I gained all the skill that they're actually trusting me to key grip. And and this was what, like five or six years later and you already start key gripping. I guess it was only four or five years. Yes. And, but let, let's talk about the voice. So the voice, it started to get, it's, it, what it was it? This, the voice started to get real heavy, and what happened was, um, I'd see actors coming on set doing what they love to do. I, I and and with episodic TV, there's a new director every episode, right? Sometimes, sometimes episode two director will get to come back again, and there's something about me like IMDb. I would always IMDb the director and who they were, where they come from, and all that stuff. Like what they, what movies they did. Like how did they get there, right? In my mind, I'm like, man. You always like, how? did your research. Yeah, I always did my research, and and literally on on season four and five, because I was so confident in my skill and just everybody, and I talked to everybody already. I literally started bringing screenwriting books, my iPad, my laptop. I would edit videos, write scripts, like on the Apple box while the cameras were rolling. Like I would, I would just hide in the corner, just like because in my mind, I was like, I'm getting paid like you know four hundred bucks to five hundred dollars a day. But still didn't fulfill me. I, I was like, I need to put time into my work, into my films, my right. the future right. film project. I need to do any of that because because I was like, okay, if this director Johnny is or or or, or I don't know, I forget his name, like Sandra is directing this episode, and if she already directed a future film, well, I need to make a future film, right? I kept on saying that. I need to find a way. So I kept on telling myself, okay, I'm going to finish the rest of this season of Arrow, and then I'm going to take a break and focus on writing my features or or any project. Just go full like full ass, right? But every time I finished a season on Arrow, I've always had a friend on another show that was working on a movie. Like, do you remember the movie Seth Rogen with James Franco called The Interview? Yeah. So, so one of my old one of my old bosses that was on Continuum, they were working on that, and I was like, "Fuck, I love Seth Rogen's movie. I've never worked with him before." So I got to work on that show. So I, they were already started, but I got to go work on that for a month and a half or, or two months. So I jumped on the interview. So you basically never got a chance to actually sit down and work like have months to work on your own project and it was just so busy exactly and then in season three of arrow i did the same thing i was like okay i'm going to do this season and after the season i'll bank some money and then i'm going to go do my project and then that's when i think it was deadpool came to town and actually you didn't need a guy and i could i could say no because i was like i i love marvel movies this is the reason why i came to film so i I fucking instantly said yes. So I did that for for uh, two months, like huge sets, like massive. I was like, dude, this is awesome. And then literally what happens is as soon as Deadpool's over, there's literally like two, three weeks off. And then I would jump on another season of Arrow. And then after Arrow season four, guess what happened? Fucking Power Rangers. Oh, the Power Rangers movie was here. So my friends were on that and they, they, yeah, they got me on Power Rangers. And I was like, I grew up with Pounders, uh, the Mighty Morphin. I have to work on this movie. So my, my childhood came back. But then literally that voice came in heavily in season five. And that's literally, I had one month left on season five. And I was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. Mentally, it was like just depressing going there. Because I wanted to say to myself, if I'm going to get in my car, go to work to a studio, 
I want to be it to be my movie. I want it to be something I have control of. Like I'm working from the neck down. Essentially, you're working for someone else's dream. Yeah, I mean, essentially, that's what it feels like when you're when you're working in these like lower lower under the line positions. Yeah, and I always I always had like this this thought process of like I've always like even with today union shows and stuff. I, I'll never understand this why producers never really give a shit about people that are below the line. I don't know what it is. It's just it never happens, and um, especially on those like bigger shows, like you you really just feel like a number and and. Yeah. yeah, they they don't even look no. at you, man. And I'm just like, you know, some people that would be great. I would, I would talk to, but some people, like some of the actors, are really cool. Uh, but th- there's just some people like you're high up there. I'm here for you. I just so so that that's type of- yeah. You're there to like serve this person's dream, and yet they don't even care, and it's it's frustrating. Exactly, and I and there's like even even a hello, even a thank you, like a like, and if they were saying thank you. People would say thank you to like a big group of fifty people, but they're not like going. But anyway, that's that's just part of me why I was I had to quit for these like bigger sh- features as opposed to something like Arrow, for example. Did you have a lot more fun? And did, did that voice come in dur- during these like Power Rangers and 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 you know Deadpool? You know what I'm getting at? Oh, I see. Well, the voice was was always present, but then the other voice kind of countered to be like, "Why did you accept this job? Because the movie's freaking cool." Yeah. So, so those kind of yeah, it countered it. I got to do the rig where we put the Power Ranger in the uh, the Megazord, and there's all green screen, and like we, we worked with ratchet straps and ladders <laughs> yeah, and yeah. rigging. I was like, "This is so cool." When I was on Arrow, it was still cool. But like when you're on Arrow, it was like cool for like a couple seasons. But but the thing is, I never watched the show. Right. Like yeah. so it, I, it I wasn't have something that, that interested that. you. And I, I think like that's kind of where I've I've um found my found my calling for these for these shows as well. It's like I've started to realize like the more I work on shows that that I I don't like watching, the the more drained I feel working on these projects. Whereas like. Like you were saying, when um, uh, when I was working on on Are You Afraid of the Dark, um, oh, was yeah, that, a that is show? a kid show. But I grew up with that. Did you ever watch that when you were a kid? Uh, I watched a few episodes. I was more of a okay. Goosebumps guy. Okay. I was definitely more of a Are You Afraid yeah. of the Dark guy. And when that like when I got a chance to work on that, that was like the best. That was one of my favorite favorite days on set. It's because yeah, you get that, like, <laughs> you get that like excitement of yeah. This is why I started doing this. Yeah, and and yeah, no, for sure. I totally, I totally feel you. I totally. Re- and so, to are that. you are you currently gripping any projects uh, that that you don't really want to watch, or or are you kind of like focusing more on these other projects? I just finished the show. Uh, well, basically, what I did was. Let's backtrack two years ago. Or th- let's track, actually, let's check uh, 2017. 2017, March 28th, I think, or, or I don't know what day, but it was March. That's when I quit Arrow, and that's when I went in full plunge into like my YouTube videos, YouTube sketches, all that stuff. Right. I literally hung up my grip belt. I was rejecting calls. Even once like, you wanted? I was rejecting wanted? calls. Um, no, no, it was uh, literally rejecting everything because what I did was I put myself off yeah. for oh, a good okay. two and a half years. Because my mindset was like, okay, let's make a living off of comedy, uh, sketches, YouTube, uh, filmmaking. Let's like let's figure a way. 
And I, I would try to do that for two and a half years. But let me tell you, that was, that was one of the most painful moments of my life because I was making the web series, you yeah. know, my web series I did, The Followers, right? It was like, it took nine months to make that show and it, it didn't really get anywhere. It didn't, it didn't really lead my career right. anywhere. Like I, I thought like this idea, like, I mean, there's still people are telling me the idea was great, which I, hard to believe in them because I'm very subjective in my work. Uh, but if it was, if it was really good, it would have gotten shit ton of views. That's that's my opinion. Now. Right. It would have got shit tons of views. So I always I looked at that project like an all in kind of thing, and literally when I was doing that project, I was using my credit card. I was refusing any type of work so that I could spend time working on that project. Like whether it's writing, producing, writing the script, right. all that. It was just a lot right. of work to do. I a, mean, you're making a series, uh, basically. All that. You were making like ten episodes, no, oh. ten minute, ten minute, ten episode series. I think every, I think the whole thing was eighty minutes over the course of eleven episodes. Yeah, I did it for two and a half years, and I, like I said before, I thought the series was good to, you know, gain subscribers, hopefully build an audience that I could start, you know, maybe doing some sponsorship, make some type of income right. off this, this stuff. But that never, that never happened. And then literally, like, I was literally pulling teeth trying to get any type of video production deal, like making sure. a commercial for a company, yeah. and uh, I, I did a few of those. I did a few of those, and uh, uh, the the amount of work that I was doing to get like this peanut yeah. money was just driving me nuts. It was yeah. stupid. Like I, I made this, I made this mobile commercial video for a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars is nothing if you're working on it for a month and then you're paying your crew like a hundred bucks here. Sure. You're getting a location. You're pairing an actor fifty fifty fifty. Man, I was like, they I think only it'd be, gave you a thousand dollar budget. Maybe a thousand dollar US, but then with the it, it was through this website called i forget what the website is called like it's like one of those websites fiverr it was a fiverr thing sure. yeah um but you, you, the fiverr takes a cut i was like man this is stupid so um i i was uh, this was just literally before covid happened right but i was like swallow i was like you know what i gotta swallow my pride i need to return so i had to go back to the union in, in my mind i was like man i feel like a failure I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Like, uh, I had this video yeah. out that, that I made. It was like a vlog right. video. It was an eight-minute vlog video. It was called Why I Quit right. My Job. And I remember posting it on Facebook, and everybody loved it. People were sharing it without even me, like, asking about it. So, um, basically, and at the end of this two and a half years of non-gripping, trying to make yeah. it, I felt like a complete failure. And then I had to literally, I had to take that video down. That's for sure. <laughs> I had to take that yeah. video down because I felt like. Is it man, still? Is it still off the web? Did you Did you actually took it, took it off take the web. it down? Well, it's 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 unlisted. Gotcha, it's gotcha. unlisted. Yeah, but or, or private. Because I mean, I think there's but a lot of value was... in seeing the progression of of a person, seeing yeah. the seeing the perspective of of how a person was and and how a person ended up becoming, you know. Um, the way they end up becoming like just that change of perspective is an interesting thing to uh, understand because not often is that actually detailed no no not not at all and i'm very open to to discussing and sharing my 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 failures why why did you decide it was gripping that you had to go back to and not like something else like restaurant for example i'll i'll tell you what happened um so you know how I returned in early 2020, yeah. right? And then, and then COVID happened. And then for me, I, I was a blessing in disguise of returning work because that's the only way I qualified for CERB, right? So while I was doing CERB, you know how TikTok really blew up for everybody? Yeah. Like so many people were right. on TikTok. So you know how like, you know, my, my web series, it didn't really gain the social numbers that I yeah. wanted. None of my content did for like eight, nine yeah. years. Then I started doing TikTok. And then something happened with, with my style of videos, but it just started to skyrocket. Like my content was doing really good on TikTok. I had some videos that were getting right. viral like in the millions. Um, then it gained over like 100,000 like followers. Uh, I think it's, uh, I'll tell you why I quit TikTok. But when I was doing those videos, I was so addicted to the dopamine right. rush. Of, of getting those of getting followers these, and these likes light, and whatnot. These, these likes, these comments and all that shit. But then like when I had the 100,000, I was going to make the celebration video. I was going to go live and make this game show for all my, my, my <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, followers. Yeah. But dude, when I was doing that game show, I had three of my friends uh, come with me. And I like, literally went to a park. We did this game show. And my mind, I was sickened. There's like a hundred. Okay, I have 100,000 people, but only four or five people were watching. It was like, what the hell is going yeah. on? Uh, and then as I continued to make these videos, basically, I don't know if you ever see these TikTok videos, but sometimes they'd be these shooting zombies. Oh, yes, yes. I have saw the, seen those it, where it's like, yeah, you're like, yeah. You're knocking so the zombies was, out of the mirror and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
so I was doing these videos and then it started to every thought that I thought I would get and every opportunity, it was totally 180. How do you mean by that? 180. Because I was making these videos, yeah. these, these, these very simple 10 to 15 second videos, right? And kids were watching them. Like, right. I thought there was going to be people my age watching right. it or our age watching it. Um, and they're like 12, 10, 9 years old. And, you know, talk to a bunch of TikTokers and they're like, oh, yeah, hey, if you, if you have a bunch of followers, that's great. It's, it's yeah. fantastic, right? But I guess guess for me, like the people that were following me and I would look at who they're following. So what I realized with this generation of, of social media is if you're like a, a very young kid or, or a kid that is just being born into the social media world, you don't know how to handle social media because when they follow someone, they're also following 10,000 other yeah. people. Yeah. It, it, it was my ball. I started to see this pattern of how they treating this follow button. And then while I was doing this is still in 2020, yeah. like during COVID, right? I haven't, I haven't returned back to gripping yet because the, the industry shut down. Right. So I was doing this for like four or five months and it really dawned on me. It really dawned on me like, wow, um, the pressure of making these social media, uh, these social media videos was kind of, uh, I was taking a step back in my skill. Like I was in the mirror in gray sweatpants and I, and I just borrowed, Dude, I borrowed a Thor costume from a friend and I cut aluminum paper, like circles on my chest. And it was like a homemade Thor costume. And I had a hammer. And then I looked, I looked at myself in the mirror, Andy. I looked at myself and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? In my mind, this is 2020. I've been in Vancouver for 10 years, made the plunge to do film school, did a bunch of short films and a web series that I was proud of. Those films that I was proud of, the world, the audience didn't give it the validation. Yet I was in my bathroom about to do this mirror video, knocking zombies of me in a Thor costume, <laughs> knocking yeah. zombies, making a video with my phone for ten second clips, for fifteen second clips for uh, kids under twelve. Yeah, and because that that is the TikTok audience. So, talk. Let's, there is a lot of older well, audience, but. yeah, um, uh, but they they they're not the ones watching that type of content. <laughs> and and that that's the thing about TikTok, though. Like the the algorithm's so good at sh- throwing you, you know, what you want to watch. You um, the the people who don't want to watch that content won't get that content, <laughs> and you you get most of the kids watching your things yeah yeah so i i tried to just steer away from making that type of content i tried to transition but it was a hard transition so where did that where did that idea come from like why why did you want to create these little micro tiktok videos in the first place good question um i had some other friends that are making a living I, I by the way with these tiktok videos i made like 60 bucks out of it how do you make money out of tiktok videos uh well there's like you can go on live they gave you these gifts, but then there's this thing. Like I sign up from this this TikTok guru guy, and if you use the sound, if you use sounds from people that have paid, basically, right. if I if I got videos over thirty thousand views, I make like twenty five bucks US off of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it, oh, it wasn't enough. There is but there is was, a way. Um, there is some kind of like um, commercial mechanism to it that you can actually get paid. Yeah, I was making um, yeah peanuts there. But I think the whole process of like the thing with social media videos is, as soon as you make the video, and then as soon as you post it, doesn't doesn't I don't care who you are out there, 
because I know people, yeah. some some people are like, yeah, I don't give a shit about the likes. Don't give a shit. But when you make a video, all of a sudden, the success of that video is based on the number. It is based on how the audience reacts to it. Yeah. And it's the thing is it's, it's public, right? And if you're making these micro videos, it's, it was every day. Like it basically demanded that is like the content monster demanded that, okay, if I want TikTok, you need to make this video like every day. Yeah. And it really got to me as a creator. That's why I had to delete it. I, I didn't love the content I was creating. I didn't, I didn't love it enough for me to keep going. And I felt like I was wasting my time. Did you ever consider continuing with a different type of content? Um, I I do plan on doing a comedy sketch that's basically like my character eventually, but I keep I keep telling myself that right now. Um, yeah. Right now, I'm actually developing a, a a feature film, and I just did a pitch today, and uh, the distributor loved it. So now that's great. He's I, I can't say too much about the film right now. Sure. Um, I'm fortunate enough and lucky enough to have a really good team to support me in this project. Um, so I'm de- I've been developing that project, um, and I just finished gripping off of uh, Turner and Hooch, and that was like uh, literally like six months, I guess. Like I was doing that show, and then I, I keyed grip for my friend on a web show. Then I even AD'd for another show for two weeks, like really, literally the second half of 2020. That's what I was doing. And I guess not doing TikTok videos and just returning to a film set like was really fulfilling. Yeah, for me it was. I think at a certain point, yeah, like I think at a certain point, um, you know, you just have to spread your time into the things that are more important that that you think are like you know more directed to your future. And if TikTok's not really, really that yeah that end goal for you like i I don't think there's any reason for it yeah i mean right now if if someone's asking me is like like you were asking me is like if ever plan to return me based on because right now i just finished this pitch for this this movie it's a very personal story to me um and i feel like i feel like this is the story that i'm gonna go with because i've had tons of stories before but this one i feel most personal too so and even for my myself, like knowing myself back then, I would try to develop a feature film and then try to do TikTok videos or try to do sketch videos. Um, but have you heard of the shiny object syndrome? Kind of. I, I think I kind of know what you're referring to, but please explain it. I really was affected by that. Like I would do one project and then I would do another project. When yeah. one project gets harder, I would jump to the next thing. And also yeah, is yeah. When, you're, when you're focused on one project and you have a deadline for it, but then all of a sudden... You get all these distractions and then you feel like basically my mind makes up excuses why I should do this thing. And the and basically what happens is the first project just takes so much longer. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And, and eventually at some point you, you just have a, a backload of of too many projects that are unfinished and not and that's basically it. Yeah. Do you think you're gonna continue with um gripping? I eventually want to move away from it. Um all my group brothers know this. Like they're all, they all know I'm a filmmaker. They all know that I have other business to do. Rather, I do three days a week, right? When I did a Turner Hooch, I did three days, right? So I'm very fortunate to have uh, Dave Durney, the best boy, and John O'Neill, the, the the key grip, to allow me to do this. Like they would set, if I told them I had to do an audition, 
right? Because also, also have an, an an actor that's they're in, very understanding. Yeah, they're very understand. They're very supportive. Um, but 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 just having that, like having an agent in, in, that sends me on to auditions every week. It's because you know how auditions work. It's all of a sudden. Oh yeah. If you have a weekend plan to work on this project, this project, all of a sudden it's bam. Here's seven pages, and now you're like, oh fuck. Now I have to. Like it's great for the opportunity. Like I've had some really good auditions, some real big shows that I would not have gotten the opportunity if it wasn't for my agent. But it it is so tough that yeah, if it's like I have a deadline for this application, like like for the movie that I'm working on right now, we sent it, I sent an application for a development fund and it was due at this time, and then all of a sudden, here's an audition. I'm like, oh geez, now it's everything is like when you think you have six hours to work on something, now you have like one. It's like. Oh, or sometimes you have done. Yes, yeah. it's like that. It's like that old saying: if you if you ever want to audition, book a vacation. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty <laughs> much. It's gonna happen exactly and, at the same time. Yeah. As a grip, it's very tough too because I told my uh, dirty my, my the best boy, uh, I told him because of these auditions and how how it works is like I told him don't book me for three days in a row. Right. Two days in a row and then have a gap. So if I have an, an audition. I will have that extra time gap to, to do dialogue, right? So sometimes he goes, okay. sometimes he gives me Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but sometimes he'll ask me like, "Hey, can you do these? Can you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Because these are the biggest days." Or like, "I need a dolly grip. We don't have a dolly grip for this." So sometimes I, I'm tied. I, I got my hands tied. I'm like, I want to help them out because they're my te- my my the grip brothers. Like we we've been through so much together. How often do you find a grip team that is is that supportive? The grip team on Arrow and here are very supportive in what I do. If I'm a day call, I find if I'm a day call and I'm jumping on a new crew, I won't tell them. I won't share too much about that. Like I won't. I won't tell them too much mm-hmm. because okay. one, I don't know them as well. I feel like it's just it's just like with anything. You have to build a relationship because right. you're not going to go on a day call as an AD and tell them your dreams of making this movie on the first day. Because you just haven't built enough, gotcha. yeah, yeah. once no, you built true. enough rapport, you hear about their family. Like that's when I feel like I can open up and tell them that, hey, I got an audition, or hey, I'm working this project. Like, like the grip team I have on Turn and Hooch is great. Like some of the uh, grip guys would like they would audition with me. We would read the lines together. The biggest thing I wanted, I wanted to say was, um, you know, I told you back then in Arrow, I had that negative mindset, right? Yeah. You know that voice will always be there, but I don't see it as negative anymore. Yeah. Like having that two and a half years of going through that tough time of, you, you know, let's just talk tough times. Like trying to pay the bills was, was pulling through teeth. And, and I'm not afraid to say this too. There was times uh, when, when I didn't have work, I had to like literally go up to my friends and be like, yo, uh, this is so embarrassing to ask, but uh, can I borrow some money? Like I had to borrow like 300 bucks off this guy, 400 bucks off my friend here tell them i pay them back and, and and my friends were like great they're like hey pay me back whenever you can you know so um just having but but having to do that yeah that that's a really crappy situation to be in holy shit dude and there was a time when i had um i didn't have any money to my account right i had no money like my my credit cards my credit everything was maxed and i literally looked at my dog who who just ran out of food right i think i had like 26 dollars left but i'm like gotta get my dog food i will go eat uh I, i'll eat rabbit noodles i just basically found something in my fridge i'm like okay this is frozen i'll make it whatever right but i was like 
I need to get my, my dog some food because I ran out of food for my dog, right? So so these little moments of like, you know, asking to borrow money, all this shit, those are very painful. Very, very painful that I don't want to be in sure. uh, anymore. Um, and, and, you know, just getting like late notices on bills, like cell phone bills was brutal, just brutal. So having um, a, a grip job with this tight crew that supports me. We have fun on set too. It's uh, a, a very grateful to, uh, to have this opportunity again to be able to do this. And my mindset is like this is while I'm working, um, making, you know, a few hundred bucks, 400 bucks a day, whatever. I know that, okay, I'm here working, but I can take the day off the next day to work on my project. And, and that's what, that's what keeping me going right now. Why, why didn't you consider kind of doing it part-time before or, or, or doing what you're doing now before? The mind, the mind shift, having, right. uh, like having a steady paycheck, because what the thing is, what I realized is when your mind is stressed and, and, and just, yeah, when your mind is stressing a lot of pressure and a lot of pain from just thinking of how will you make the next month? creatively like creatively my mind couldn't um fully create the content it was making tiktok videos right it wasn't making these these new projects that i was making it wasn't uh yeah the the pain from finances can you talk about why uh why why you got into gripping and not any other uh, department like ABing, for example, which you have experience in. I'll tell you why. Is I was a uh, it was a 2011. You know how I got in Smallville as a PA. So when I was on Smallville as a PA, I actually PA for three other like three more months on other shows. Um, and, and I had the thing is I had my I had my my DGC logbook, right? I had my logbook and and I remember I had my logbook and I was gonna go the I was going to go the AD route. I was like, okay, yeah, I could totally do the AD route. Um, and then, and then something happened. Um, I had the logbook, and I know it was something weird that like you had to like get your supervisor to fill it out or something like every you week did, or something. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was something like that. This logbook, you have to like have your supervisor on every show that you log in to like fill out you know what how you did and stuff it's yeah and then something about like you need to fax it or something and i remember like i had the logbook i was supposed to i was supposed to yeah this is this is what happened thanks for reminding me i was supposed to deliver it at the same time but i was in the middle of getting those day calls as a grip on true justice while doing my other job as cactus Coast. so i was like juggling through too many things and i think i'm like needing to go to get the fax machine and it's just something obstacle for me that I didn't get in on time. And when I didn't get this logbook in time, uh, I think what happened was DGC suspended me. Like they outright suspended me from the DGC for that. And in my mind, I really, it really upset me. I was like, I was like, I was really busy. I was like, I was doing this work. Like, it's not like I was standing around. Like, yeah, I think, I think something about like, it, it was something like, I saw something like I couldn't get in. I it's it had to do with like Monday to Friday or something. And I was working Monday to Friday, and it's something like I just couldn't get in. And I think being suspended from the DGC, I was like, "What the fuck, right?" So then I was getting all these opportunities as a grip, and all this money was coming in. So I was like, "All right, I'll just go ahead and do it." And 
when I was like a, a, a grip on arrow, I was wondering that too. And then I kept on asking other uh, uh, ADs and, and stuff. And they're like, oh, I think it was like at the end of like arrow or something. And I was like, oh, what if I went back and did the AD room? And people are like, well, if you do that, you have to go back and do 150 days of PA. You do, yeah. And, and in my mind, I'm like, I have like over <laughs> 400, 500 days as a grip. I don't know if it's my ego talking, but in my mind, I was like, that's ridiculous because I have way more experience just being in like 10 years on a film set. Why do I need to go to 150 days as a PA? Like, can I take a test? Uh, can I go pee a tad? Because I've already AD'd for... Yeah. Uh, in terms of AD'd. the job itself, like, you don't... Which one would you prefer? Would you prefer the AD or do you actually enjoy the work of gripping? If if they allowed me to do like a like a tad, it's funny you asked me that. I think I asked you about a tad position or something. You I did. Think, I think yeah. I asked you, you but asked then because yeah. I talked to the DGC and they said that okay, uh, you don't have to do the PA thing route if all the shows are booked and if the the first AD or second approves of you to be a tad for that show, right? Totally. Yeah. So, you can get permitted that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard about that too. Um, but the the question if if I got to do it right now, I would if okay, if you asked me that probably six months ago or a year ago, I yeah. would be like, okay, hook me up as an AD. Like when I finished my AD show in October, just back in 2020, I, I would have been like, yes, put me in. But right now, because I'm working on my future film, and the thing is, I know as soon as you're a tad or as soon as you're a third or a second, you have to be committed five days a week. Yeah, uh, and and I and I was just like, if you're wait, who who hires the tad? Is it the first ad? The usually it's the second who looks for the tad and the first approves of that person. Okay, okay. So yeah. the, the way I saw it was okay. If it, if I met a second ad and wanted to hire, and if he wanted me to hire me as a tad, and then it'd be like a four or five month show, I would have to be a tad for five days a week for that show, and and I'm just like. Because tags don't make a lot of money. They right don't now. make that much. Yeah, they don't. Money, they no. don't make that much. No. So you you would definitely make more as a grip, uh, doing like a bigger show than than a tad. Yeah. Sure. If if I did the tad route, it would have it had to have been early. It it should have been yeah. early because yeah. for me to go back and start from the bottom to go up, I would need to commit the time to really focus on. Doing the tad and do the third and then second. But right now, um, at a place right now that I can just do a few days a week and know that because I already have I haven't mastered gripping, but I'm confident enough in my skill that I know I can go to work and not have pressure. I've seen tads go to work and they're like so stressful because it's like <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. It's a, it's a whole oh man yeah, and I don't want to stress yeah, it, yeah. yeah I don't want to stress over it. oh. It's funny. I even had people on Turner and Hooch, like the sound mixer and the the boom operator. Yeah. Uh, the boom yeah. boom operator is a friend of mine. Steve, great guy. Steve Stubbs and, and uh, Yair, the sound assistant. They all told me to go get. They were grips. Like yeah. they were both grips. Like the sound assistant and right. the the boom operator. They were both grips. I grip with them back on Arrow, right? Yeah. Now they're making more yeah, money they, than me. <laughs> right, of course, because yeah. they're sound guys. You're doing sound yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah. I think a boom operator is like forty-seven bucks an hour, or forty-five. 
right? It's crazy. And, uh, yeah. and but, the sound mixer, you just don't even want to know. Yeah, you don't even know. But <laughs> the the sound mixer, uh, Greg, another nice guy, super cool guy. He's like, yeah, if you went on the Ayatsi website and sign up as a sound mixer, I I take you on, like as a sound assistant. So so I I thought about that. Yeah, I really thought about that. But then I gave myself a thought. That's the same mentality that I'm going with the TAD or the AD route right now or, or any other right. position, whether it was props right. or set deck. Uh, I think props would be really cool. Like props is, is exciting or even stunts. Yeah. The, the, the stunt world. Cause I, I've done some wing chung and all that. Uh, some of my videos do some action stuff. So I've always asked myself like, why did I, yeah, another thing is why did I get into stunts? That's what I was stunts make a killer. Stunts make a killer, yeah. But also, you also hurt your body yeah, yeah, to the yeah. point where your career doesn't necessarily last that long until you go into stunt coordinating, right? Yeah. All these other um, positions I've thought about, and I'm like, why am I gripping? Uh, I mean, you're only making $31 an hour. I've already learned as much as I can as a grip. Why don't I go and try a new position? But then... That's when it really affected me, like the shiny object syndrome. I was like, wait a second, right. you are de- like, you right now, in, in my mind, I'm like, you have an agent right now that sends you out for acting, right? At the same time, you have uh, a studio, uh, a Dear Hero Studios. I just renamed it. It's a production company that now we're focused on features, which is a feature that I'm working on right now. And, and I have a very strong, supportive team. Uh, they're passionate team. Like, so glad to have them. Like, they're amazing. And I looked at like, well, I'm trying to make money as a grip so I can get out of gripping and then focus fully on, say, my movies or acting or act in my movies. So for me to learn a new uh, department didn't make sense to me. Right. It it did not make sense to me. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) I want to end off with a few rapid fire questions that I'm hoping to ask everyone. Sure, man. Yeah. What's the worst advice you were ever given? Oh, worst advice ever was how to set up a C stand from Vancouver film school. (laughs) It was the worst because they told me to put a C stand up right here and then turn the, you know how it works, like a C stand, your shoulders. And then, and then I took that same, like what I learned at, at, at film school and then i went to smallville and then i did that and and one of the grips was like where did you learn how to do that and then he took my c-stand he's like well milton look what happens when i turn i will tur- i will knock someone out like that i was like wow and uh so so if vfs is is listening i hope you're not teaching people c-stands like that because it's just stupid you got to figure the change that up but yeah next question <laughs> next question what's the best advice you were ever given the one that can come from my mind is the dolly grip uh, on my show. Actually, he told me this back on Arrow. Um, uh, Glenn, Glenn Flowrider gave me this advice. And sometimes when we're dealing with like negative thoughts, the best way to not think about deflecting it is to just let it allow it, allow it to enter your mind. Because we have a tendency of having a bad thought entering our mind then we try so hard to fight it. We try to deflect it. We try to deflect that thought. Um, and he says, if it happens, it's already there. It's like a door. It's like it's like smoke. If smoke came through your door, it's already there. 
you just have to wait for it to to go away. Like you just close the door and just let that let that air go. Like, or it's kind of like if you're, if you're, yeah, I, I think that's a good example of how that goes. He just basically told me if you have a negative thought, it's already there. Just let let it go. I mean, it's just just let it flow. Eventually, yeah. Eventually, you just yeah, you just go and you just go and do stuff. It'll eventually be gone. But you don't, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to think about oh my god this negative thought is in my mind I don't want to think about it let's try to let's try to deflect it you're actually using more energy trying to release it when if you just continue doing what you want to do it'll eventually go away yeah no that's good that's a good one I like that yeah and 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 the final one in your opinion what does a more diverse film industry look like to you great question uh, I think a more diverse film industry is just more different cultures to be honest more um yeah you know it's funny is there is only two asians on my sorry sorry three asians on set on my show out of like 75 75 80 sometimes 100 only three right i think there's like two, maybe two three black people um yeah, there's only like three. Sometimes there'd be four with a day call, but I think a more diverse is having, uh, you know, I think, yeah, just more. Before we leave, is there anything that you'd like to plug and and uh, uh, anything that you're working on that we can find you at? I I actually deleted my social apps right now. I mean, if you if you want to follow me, it's my first and last name. I do plan to returning sometime, but right now mentally. Me not having the app, I feel so much better. I feel like I'm not distracted on social media, just scrolling and, and looking at stuff when I could be working on my, my project. And I think and social media has been a really big distraction for me, like good and bad. So like having, like literally when I release an episode on my uh, talk show, I don't have to go and promote it on it because the Instagram promotion didn't really do much for me. And, uh, yeah, just not having that is. Do, good. do you find that it's not necessarily unnecessary, but do you find that you are a happier filmmaker not worrying about that side of things? Um, yes. Knowing that yes. there's consequences yes. to not promoting it, the consequences being the lack of views and whatnot. And how do you how do you deal with that like push and pull? The thing is, as soon as I'm on social, I find I go and see people posting videos, making videos and all that. My mindset works like, man, people are making videos. They're getting all these metrics. Like People are loving it. People are getting opportunities. Maybe I should do that too. At the end of the day, this is why, this is why I, I said I'm glad you asked that question of why I got into filmmaking. Because that why is a, it's a constant reminder for me. Why did I make the plunge here? And um, when I get to those moments of questioning why I'm doing these social videos, all I got to do is ask myself, back in 2009, why did I move to Vancouver to be a filmmaker, to make movies? I didn't come here to make social media videos. Like, it's not not to be egotistical. People are doing it. It's great. That's, that's awesome for them. But I think for me as a filmmaker, to be fulfillment, like, I'm very subjective and hard on myself to look at myself and say, I can't be the director that I want to be unless I make a movie have to make a, like a feature film it's it's i've never done it yet which is why me deleting these social things off my thing it's it's just killing a distraction 
not having to make these, these social content videos. I can focus just on this. I can focus on just the future film. And, and for me right now, that's what's important to me right now. Well, we need money to support our dreams. We need time to work towards our dreams. And though working in the film industry provides us with a lot of money sometimes, it takes up a lot of our time. Finding this balance is an ongoing journey that really differs for everyone. It involves a lot of trial and error, failures and successes, really to figure this out. And understanding this dilemma, this process, and still supporting the creative career of an artist is incredibly important in helping with creating a more diverse film industry in my opinion, because it allows artists to pursue something that they're really passionate about, that they can excel in. Milton's lucky to have found a supportive team that allows him to pursue what he wants without worrying about where his next paycheck might come from. So thank you Milton for sharing your story and thank you to all the managers out there who support the creative career of us artists. I hope you found our conversation relatable and helpful in some way. If you all want to learn more about gripping or any of Milton's independent projects, please subscribe to our newsletter where we'll uh, have all of that and find us on Facebook and Instagram and please give us a follow Thank you for joining us today, and I'll see you on set Thanks for listening to BIPOC credits by Andy Wong. This episode was produced by Nightingale. Our editor is Rihanna Toy Graphics by Joshua Lamb theme music by Peter Robinson and Patrick Fiore intro and outro voiceover by Mike Lee Thank you to our community partner culture brew Dot art for supporting us. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at BIPOC Credits. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, consider supporting us on Patreon and subscribe to our newsletter to get all the juicy information we didn't quite get to in this podcast. Thank you once again for listening to BIPOC Credits. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 